0: And thank you for being here on Father's Day. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I'll bring you some updates on the Southern Baptist Convention at the end and a few key announcements, but let's dig right in. Take your Bibles and find 2 Samuel chapter 18 over in your Old Testament, 2 Samuel 18. Today we're going to talk about a man after God's own heart. I was reading this text again in my quiet time the first of this month in June, and and after the Mother's Day message we had over the two prostitutes and the two sons, and one died, and Solomon said, cut him in half, and and, uh, the real mother said, no, don't hurt him. Don't hurt my boy. Give him to the other lady. I hope that as that is a unique text for Mother's Day, this will be something unique for Father's Day. And I would just say to us this morning, if ever in the history of our nation there's a need to honor godly fathers, it is today. We need to honor men of God today and uh, responsible men. So what day of the year do they say most phone calls are made? Well, that'd be Mother's Day, right? But gentlemen, what day of the year are most collect calls made? Yes, we own that one, fathers. So One of my major concerns are how fathers are being portrayed. How does the world look at daddies? How did the world look at daddies some years ago? How does the world look at fatherhood today? Look at these pictures and see what you think. We've gone from Andy Griffith to Al Bundy. That's, uh, That's kind of a shame, isn't it, that we would take that kind of a turn. We've gone from Ward Cleaver, leave it to Beaver, to Homer Simpson. Now, guys, there's nothing wrong with donuts. My kids just bought me some donuts, so between services, I was loading up. But we don't want to be a homer. We'd rather be a ward. And then, of course, we go from Charles Ingalls, if you remember him way back, Little House on the Prairie, to Tony Soprano. You know what? We need to begin honoring fathers. We need men after God's heart. And First Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22 both declare that King David was such a man. Not a perfect man by any stretch. You recall that he had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He tried to cover the affair when she got pregnant by having her son, her, fa- her husband, Uriah the Hittite, murdered. But according to the Bible, David was still forgiven. David was still a man after God's own heart. David was seeking the face of God. Absalom, who you're going to hear about today, was the third son of David. You'll recall that the infant son with Bathsheba died in infancy. God gave David and Bathsheba Solomon and then Absalom is the third son of David, but a rift had developed between David and Absalom. Absalom had committed treason and gathered a group of men to lead a coup against his father. David was actually forced to leave the city of Jerusalem. He was forced to leave the throne, and all kinds of embarrassing things happened. Absalom made a series of really, really ugly choices, but forces of David are going to come together and meet forces of Absalom. And that's where we pick up the story. David is going to instruct his men of what not to do. They don't listen very well, but he's going to instruct his men of what not to do. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to sort of take some verses out here, and we're going to look at the story without trying to read all of these chapters. For the sake of time and clarity, I'll pick up some key verses. So, In the honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stand with me and let's pick up with verse 5. After verse 5, we'll skip to verse 9 and read that section. 2 Samuel 18, 5. Now the king, that's David, had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. In other words, hands off. Don't kill him. Verse 9. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. Basically, they said Absalom, according to Scripture, had a lot of thick lush, heavy hair. I have never had to worry about that so much, but that was Absalom's trait. And so his hair actually gets caught up in this tree and the animal moves on. It says, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth and the mule which was under him went on. Now, a certain man saw it and told Joab, the commander of David's army. And he said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him. Why didn't you strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai saying, beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there's nothing hidden from the king and you yourself would have set yourself against me. And Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. Now I'm going to pick up with verse 29. So if you need to flip or swipe 29, they send two runners. Two guys are going to run to the king to tell him the news. The first guy's a wimp. He wimps out. He just can't bear to tell him that his son is dead. The second, the Cushite, will tell him. So let's see what they say. 2 Samuel 18, 29. The king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I didn't know what it was about. Yeah, yeah, you're a wimp. And the king said... Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Then, just then, the Cushite came, and the Cushite, a second runner, said, There's good news, my lord, uh, the king, for the Lord, that is God, has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man, then the king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And As he went, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this really does reveal to us a father's heart. It really reveals to us a very vivid picture, even in the midst of a crazy family dynamic, where there's so much tension, where there's so much unrest. Quite certain here today there may be families with tension and unrest. But help us to have your heart when we think about our children. Help us to have a father's heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. And be seated. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you just a couple of key truths. And I want you to see these things that are very clear from the text. First, a man after God's own heart protects his children. Now, David wasn't successful in the endeavor, but he attempted to protect his son Absalom. So look again at verse 5. The Bible says in chapter 18, verse 5, he told all of his captains. He told Joab. He told Abishai. He told Ittai. He told them all deal gently for my sake. I'm the king. Yes, I've been exiled. Yes, there's this sort of chaos and mutiny, but I'm still the king. Don't hurt my son, Absalom. Even stronger wording was used in verse 12 when the young man who would not kill Absalom said, look, you heard what the king said. We're not touching him. I'm not raising my hand against him. I don't care how much money you give me, Joab. I'm not going to do it. But Joab has been protecting David a long time. Joab is David's nephew. He's the commander of David's army. The king, David, said, don't hurt him. Joab did the exact opposite. He killed him. He thrust the spears, three of them, through Absalom's heart. Imagine the difficulty of the family dynamic here. Because of his desire for power and prestige, Absalom would lose everything, including his life. Now, some of you that have studied history know that family rivalries, especially when it came to kingships, family rivalries were common. There were many, many instances of history where sons would kill fathers, sons would kill brothers, fathers would kill sons just to keep the throne or ascend to the throne. And so this is really not that much different than what the heathen nations were doing all around Israel. People will do just about anything for more power, More prestige, more money. I mean, if reality TV's taught us anything, it's taught us that people will do anything for 15 minutes of fame. Do y'all remember the show Fear Factor back in the day? Joe Rogan Fear Factor? People would eat spiders for money. Something's wrong with you when you eat a spider. I'm just going to tell you right now I don't care if you deep fry it and put it between the layers of an Oreo, I'm not eating a stinking spider. I didn't make them for that. What about the housewives? Y'all seen any? Of I've not seen them, but I'm told there's like a hundred varieties of the housewives out there. Well, I know y'all have heard of Honey Boo Boo now. Come on. Come on. Heathens in the house. Everybody heard of Honey Boo Boo? What in the world is going on? There was a show on ABC. I never watched it, so I don't know the tenant, but it sounded creepy enough to me. The show was called Wife Swap. No, thank you. I'm happy with what the good Lord gave me, and you can't have her. So that's just weird to me. People to do anything for this. And in this day, people would do anything to have power. It corrupted David himself. David had too much power. David should have been out on the battlefield leading his army in war. It was a time when kings went to war. But he walked around on his roof, and one night he glanced over, and he saw a young woman, a beautiful woman. She was bathing, and he said, I want her. Because of his power, he could have anything he wanted. And so David called her, and he slept with her. And, of course, she became pregnant, Bathsheba. And we find that that David's family, though God would forgive him, God would forgive the sin, David's family would be forever haunted by the consequences of his bad choices, the consequences of his sin. Not only did that infant son die, But Solomon would have a major problem with women. Absalom would embarrass his father and have a major problem with pride, power, and women. And David's life, he couldn't even build a house for the Lord. He couldn't build the temple because there was so much bloodshed, so much issue in his life with war. But we find that when David's infant son died, it's interesting. He got up, he washed himself. He ate, he went and worshipped. But when his older son dies, he doesn't do that at all. His grief is overwhelming. Look at it again. He found out that Absalom died and he just cried out, Oh, my son, my son, my son, five times in fact, over in a row. He says, my son, my son, my son. He doesn't even know what to say. Oh, I would have rather died than you died. Have you ever been in the depth of grief so deep you had no words. Either you just kept repeating yourself, no, 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 this can't be. See, even though Absalom had been a pretty rotten son at this point, been a pretty bad guy, he tried to take the father's throne. He tried to kill the father. He certainly pushed the father out of the holy city. Absalom been a rotten kid, but even those of you that have had rotten kids still love him. Even those of you that may be estranged right now, You still love them. You still long for restoration and healing. I know you do. Whether you're sitting in this room or you're out there somewhere, I know you long for a relationship with that son, that daughter, no matter their age or yours. It's built into us, the desire for family. David genuinely wanted to protect his son. You say, well, you know, Pastor, I get this, and it's all fine and good, but it's 2021, It's a new day. Nobody's going after my children. Wrong. In fact, I wrote it this way. There is an army going after our children more real and considerably more dangerous than any enemy Absalom ever faced. I believe in our day, Satan's army is waging a spiritual battle with the youth of our nation and every nation, every moment. And parents and especially fathers need to stand up and stand out and say by the power of Christ and the grace of God, you are not going to take my child prisoner. You will not kill, steal, or destroy. You will not hurt them spiritually, emotionally, or otherwise. But our children are on a battlefield every day, and we must seek their protection Guys, let me give you some advice here, if I may. PTL, like praise the Lord. You know that that little acronym? PTL. Can I give you this real quick? Pray. First, pray for your children daily. Now, I know you're saying, well, Pastor, Duff, of course I pray for my kids. Be fervent in your prayer for your kids' protection. Teach. Teach them the ways of God by the word of God. Like the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when it talks about teaching these truths to your kids, let them hear you teaching the word of God. But more than just let them hear you, let them see you live. Live a godly example for them every day. Notice what I wrote here. They are watching you. I didn't say they are listening to you because we both know that would be false sometimes. They are watching you though. There's a wide-eyed little youngster who believes you're always right, and his ears are always open. He's watching day and night. You're setting an example every day in all you do for the little one who's watching to grow up and be like you. We must protect our children. You say, hey, babe, wait a minute there, Bobby. My children are over 18. They're out of the house. Well, again, so I got two of my four over 18 now, one of them in a home of her own now. And yet, Absalom's a grown man. Absalom is the adult son of David, and yet David was still trying to be responsible. You say, well, I can't say anything. I can't do anything. My kids are grown. They make their own decisions. You're right about that. They have to make their own decisions, and they do stand accountable for the Lord before him one day. But you still have the right. They may not listen, but you have the right, and you have the responsibility to love them well to share the truth with them, to live the truth in front of them, to be a godly example for them, to always stand guard for their hearts and their lives. And I'm sorry. I'm deeply, deeply sorry. Anytime I mention anything like this in a message, I always get feedback. I've already gotten it this morning. I'll get people asking questions, letters, counseling. I'm sorry for those of you that are estranged. My heart hurts for you that don't have your family tight as you would so desire. But if there's still breath in their lungs and yours, God's not finished. Don't ever give up. Be persistent in your prayer and continue to stand watch. The American Indians had a unique practice of training young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, after learning hunting, scouting, and fishing, he was put to one final test of manhood. He was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone, And until then, he would have never been away from the security of his family and his tribe. But on this night, he was blindfolded, taken several miles away into the dense forest. And when the blindfold was taken off, he was there in the woods, alone, pitch black and terrified. With every twig snapping, he would visualize a wild animal ready to pounce. But after what seemed like an eternity, dawn broke and the first rays of sunlight entered the interior of the forest. Looking around, the boy would see the trees and the flowers and the outline of the path where they came in. But then, to his utter astonishment, he beheld a figure of a man standing just a little distance away, armed with bow and arrow. See, it was his father. He'd been standing there all night. Because even if the son couldn't see him, the father was still responsible responsible to protect the child God had given him. It's true with us guys. Even if your children can't always see it, you stand guard with something far more powerful than bow and arrow. You stand guard with the spirit of the living God, praying for them, teaching them, living before them a godly example. A man after God's own heart protects his children But the second truth I want you to see is this a man after God's own heart prioritizes his life, meaning, this his life is in order. He understands what's most important. Now, David is a dichotomy. David is an interesting case study because David didn't get this right until it was too late. What do you mean? Well, before I get into it, let's read a little more. Chapter 19, I won't make you stand again, but let's just look at chapter 19. It'll be on the screens. If your Bibles are still open, you can just follow along. Chapter 19, 1, and Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. They heard it that day. The king is grieved for his son, So the people stole back. Stole back means that they went stealthily. They went back kind of slumping with their heads down. Because this was no great it was supposed to be a victory, but it didn't feel like a victory. They stole back into the city as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face. He kept crying out with a loud voice: Oh, my son Absalom! Oh Absalom, my son, my son. And then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you've disgraced all your servants who've saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, the lives of your concubines, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you've declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, it would have pleased you well. Now, we'll stop there. I would have probably been upset if I was Joab too. I mean, Joab was the commander of the army, and this guy was attempting to kill David and his family and take out his forces. This guy was bad news, and Joab said, how can you mourn this? But Joab didn't have a father's heart, you see. What I see in the heart of David here, though, is a priority. Now listen to what I'm about to say. David cared more for his son than his stuff. David cared more for his son than his stuff. Unfortunately, he did not learn this lesson early enough. I'll explain, but let's write a few things down. If you provide stuff for your children without being an engaged dad with your children or for your children, then you have given them nothing of lasting value. Why? Stuff won't last. Name something you got from Chris, for, for Christmas. Last Father's Day, two Father's Days ago three Christmases ago. Unless it's major, chances are there's no memory because stuff doesn't last. You say, well, pastor, doesn't the Bible say I'm to provide for my family? Absolutely it does. Listen well. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You provide for your family. You protect your family, dear fellow. But I'm not talking about quitting your job and stopping all you're doing to be with your children every minute of every day. Your kids don't want that, neither do you. I'm not talking about being smothering, being a helicopter parent. I'm not talking about any of that. I am saying that you have to have some time with your family. I wrote it like this. You cannot have quality time without investing in your family quantity time. One of the reasons I'm so excited about Heather and Parker and Miss Lucy moving East Tennessee is that we get time with them that we just don't have right now. It's great to have them come or us go every few months. but I noticed from and Jeff put her to sleep, right? Not me. Yeah, Pastor Jeff put her to sleep. I just want y'all to know that I didn't. but, but Miss Lucy's snoozing good on Aunt Holly. And you know what's fun is Heather's been out on her own in, in college and been away for like seven plus years. So to have Heather here and the big ugly oaf, I mean my son-in-law Parker, he makes pretty babies though, it's okay. To have Parker and to have, sorry, you're used to that, right, Parker? It's been what? How many years has it been? My goodness, a long time. 60, like nine years I've been calling you a big ugly oaf. Yeah, I'm not sorry. Okay, so <laughs> you've, got, you've got this precious gift of quantity time. Now, we're not going to be together all the time. They don't want that, nor do we. But Miss Cindy's looking forward to keeping that baby as Heather goes to work, the new middle school music teacher at Norris Middle School. And Parker goes to work at Toyota of Knoxville. They're, they're excited. God's provided a place for them, jobs for them, child care for them. You've got to have both. And you say, well, how do you know that? Why, why do, where does the Bible tell us? Well, why do you think David's in this case? David is where he is because Absalom had spent two years in Jerusalem not seeing his father, 2 Samuel fourteen twenty eight tells us. Before that, he had been out of the city at least three years in Gesher, 2 Samuel 13, 38. You see, Absalom, now check it, see if you can follow the story. Absalom had murdered his half-brother Amnon because Amnon raped Absalom's sister Tamar. You think your stories are good, like as the world turns in guiding light? They ain't got nothing on the Bible. I'm just telling you, there's some crazy stuff in here. But David would not see Absalom. Now, David eventually forgave Absalom, but too little, too late, man. It had been at least five years, and David had kept Absalom at an arm's distance, so If you think this stuff doesn't matter, David's family proves to us it matters. You need incarnational connection. A little boy, frightened by thunderous lightning storm, called to his daddy in the dark one night. and He cried out for his father. He said, Daddy, please come into my room. I'm scared. Son, the father said, God loves you. He'll take care of you. I know God loves me, Dad. But right now, I need somebody with skin on. I love that little story. You believe God loves you. You believe God will protect you. But don't we always sometimes need somebody with skin on right now? Somebody we can love on right now. Somebody that can come alongside of us right now. Somebody that can be our father right now. It doesn't take the place of God. You see, David's whole family was wacky because David didn't get some things right. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he forgave. Yes, he sought restoration and healing, but it really was too little too late for Absalom. Do you think maybe those five years away, Absalom began to plot, began to plan? Who does this guy think he is? He thinks just because he's king, he can keep away his own son. I'll show him. I'll take his throne. I'll take his power. I'll even take the women in his life, and we won't even get into all the problems the women, the wives, and the concubines caused for David and Solomon and Absalom and on and on and on. But I would simply say this, even when Absalom sinned greatly against God and his family, his father never stopped loving him and seeking what was best for him. Your kid's ever done anything goofy? I mean, my girls, Heather and Holly, especially when they were little, they were great kids. All four of the kids have been really, we've been blessed with good kids, but they would get into things sometimes, just like yours. I'd write it down because I'm a preacher and I needed sermon illustrations, so I wrote one down years ago. We walked in and found them in the makeup, long before they were supposed to be in the makeup. We also found strands of red hair that had been cut. I don't even remember who cut whom, but I do know this. They had a come-to-Jesus meeting with their father. That night. They got a very, very good night's sleep. And there have been a few other cases since then. But you know what? They're still my girls. I still love them. I'm still their daddy. And even if you want to knock your kid's head off sometime, you still love them. They're still your baby. And you know what? We have to keep our priorities right. David, too little, too late, yes. But David knew Absalom, his son, should have been important. He just wasn't important early enough. And it's not just God, then your wife, then your kids, then your church, then your job, then this, then this. No, 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 remember, it's Christ in all. Christ is first in your marriage, in your parenting, in your job, in your giving. Christ is all in all. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me. And you say, yeah, okay, 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 all this sounds fine, it's good, but you don't know my schedule, I'm just too busy. Oh, I don't think so. If you're too busy to prioritize your family, you're too busy, bub. You need to give up some stuff. I've never known anybody in my entire life busier than my father. Now, I had a busy stretch for about 10 years after college, going through a master's program and then going through a Ph.D. in a growing church with building programs and going from two kids up to four, actually from one kid to four kids, because we had Holly after I started seminary. So having all of this going on, but my daddy was the busiest man I've ever known. In 1983, at the end of the year, he and my mother, when I was eight years old, both quit their jobs the same week. Unbeknownst to me, they had been planning for a long time to start a business. They rented a little 800-square-foot office space in a little office warehouse in Greensboro. Just the two of them, they had nothing. I mean nothing. Everything they got used, used desk, used shelves. I don't think they had computers actually, when they started, but I've never seen anybody work like my parents. And my daddy especially, get up all manner of the night taking parts and helping customers and industrial heat and steam. So hospitals would shut down, sometimes schools, sometimes military bases needed, and they needed it then. And he got up and he worked hard. And then they started a second company and God blessed them and things multiplied over. And I remember that they were blessed. They were able to save up enough money one year to buy me a four-wheeler. And that was great. I got a little red Honda four-wheeler. And I remember that they helped and they got my Honda Prelude, my first car. It was a an 86 Prelude stick shift. It was, it was cool. It had the flip up headlights, man. I was styling. I was so cool. I bought a fake car cell phone antenna with the spiral and I stuck it on the side to make everybody think I had a cell phone. Some of y'all have no idea what that means. I don't care. You're too young. And I remember those things. But that's about all the stuff I remember. I remember a daddy who worked 24 hours, it seemed like, 20 hours at least a day. And I remember a daddy who was there for every baseball practice, helping coach. I remember when he threw the ball at the little kid that didn't know how to catch and he broke his nose. That was my dad. I love that. I remember my dad was there not only for the practices, but the games, the shows when I moved out at 16 and did a show down in Charlotte. And they were there. One of my, one of the, partners in the singing, dancing front of stage was named Philip. Big, tall guy. He's a brother from another mother. A uh, big African-American brother. And he had, so there was him and a girl and me and a girl. And we were doing our singing and our dancing. We were doing country music back then. And my mother, remember my mom in the audience, she got so excited. She grabbed a guy next to her who she didn't know, a stranger. She said, that's my son up there. That's my son. And then she said, the blonde one. Like somehow they were going to confuse us. You know, like, Yeah, the blonde one, okay. And I remember mom and dad being there beaming. I remember them coming up to Bush when I went to William & Mary where Cindy and I met. I remember they picked Cindy out of the choir when they didn't know her. Because I said, just look for the prettiest girl in the choir. It was a huge college choir. And they said, it had to be her. And I said, bingo. And I remember them being there. And the other shows and, and the other sports and the other things. I remember my dad who never really liked hunting. My father was not so much of an outdoorsman. He was a yard guy, not a hunter. Didn't really care to hunt and fish that much. But he always took me. Squirrel hunting and deer hunting and rabbit and all of the stuff. My dad always took me because he knew I was passionate about it. And I look back and think, how in the world did he run two very big successful businesses and take care of me the way he did? He's been with Jesus four and a half years now. But what I miss is him. Not the stuff. Guys, they're not going to miss the stuff. Because the stuff wears out. And half the time they'll play with the box longer than the stuff anyway. A man after God's own heart protects his children. He prioritizes his life. He says, My kids are, my kids are fine. And you can make excuses. You can argue, yeah, but your daddy only had one kid, and yeah, but your daddy had this, and yeah, but your daddy came successful. Listen, let me just tell you something. You can excuse your way into being a bad parent, but you'll still give answer before a holy God one day. How are you doing, fellas? We were blessed last week at the convention to see the premiere, to see a pre-showing of a new Kendrick Brothers documentary, a film, their first documentary. You know the guys that did Flywheel and Facing the Giants and Courageous and all of those. We met the guys. Uh, the guys were there, um, Alex and Stephen Kendrick and some of the guys from the documentary, and I'm hoping we can do something big with this in September for our daddies and for our men. It's called Show Me the Father. It was extremely powerful. I absolutely loved it. I'm hoping we can do a big event for you guys, but you can't wait for a big event to change. You can't wait for something to come along because God's given you today. God's given us right now. You say, Well, this this is good, it sounds fine there to Pastor, but I don't know any perfect fathers. I, I don't either. I know one. It wasn't my daddy. My daddy had plenty of flaws, he had lots of issues. I could spend time talking about his Navy days and the language he had, but then how God transformed the way my daddy talked. I could spend a lot of time telling you about things that he did. He didn't go to church with us when I was little, but how God got a hold of his heart and changed him. I could spend a lot of time telling you about the bad, but why would I do that? There's only one perfect father. He loves you so much. He wants to protect you from your sin and from yourself. So he sent his perfect son into the world to live a perfect life and die a sacrificial, excruciating death, be placed in a borrowed tomb, be raised victoriously the third day, ascend back to his right hand so that you and I, through Christ, can have a relationship with the one perfect father. You may have daddy issues down here, but don't project them on your perfect father up there you have a father who loves you and he loves you so much he said i'm willing to die for you that's what david was like oh if it was me david was if if it could be me take me i've said that i said that when lucy got diagnosed with that kidney problem and they didn't know if she would survive I said that when they said she'd only have one kidney. I cried to God multiple times. God, save that little girl. Take, if you need to, just take my life. You would pray that for your children. But would you pray that for a complete stranger? Would you pray that for billions of people that would spit in your face? No. No. <laughs> I'd give my life for my family. I don't know that I'm giving my life for people that hate me for people that beat me, for people that nail me to a tree. David said he'd rather die than have his rebellious son die. Well, God showed you he'd rather die than have you die without being reconciled to him. So through the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, the God-man, God died. But he also lives again. See, God had promised David in 2 Samuel 7 he would send a Savior through the line of David. He said, David, you'll have a descendant. You'll have a descendant that will rule and reign forever. Well, Solomon wasn't the guy. Absalom wasn't the guy. According to Matthew 1-1, Jesus Christ the Messiah is called the Son of David, the promised Savior and God's greatest priority is your heavenly fathers for you to know his son Jesus and follow him in love and in obedience. You can know him today, daddy, but if fathers you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got to start there. Be a man after God's own heart. Give your life to Christ. And if you say, well, I've done that, but if you're not walking with him today, come back. Be a man after God's own heart. I'll close with a touching story about a humble consecrated pastor whose young son became very ill. The boy had undergone an extensive and exhaustive series of tests, and the father was told the shocking news that his son had a terminal illness. The youngster accepted Christ as his Savior, so this minister knew that the death of his boy would usher him into glory. But he wondered, how in the world can I tell my son in the prime of his life that soon he would die? So after earnestly seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit, he went in with a heavy heart through the hospital ward to the boy's bedside. First he read a passage of scripture and had a time of prayer, and then he gently told his boy that the doctors could only promise him a few more days to live. Son, are you afraid to meet Jesus? The father asked as he was blinking away tears. The little boy, through his own tears, looked up and he said, no, no, I'm not afraid, Daddy, as long as Jesus is like you. That's my prayer. My prayer is that the testimony of my life and of every father here today is to be like Jesus. It's the greatest mark of a man after God's own heart. Stand with me. Fellows, if you need to trust Jesus today, ladies, for you as well. There'll be pastors waiting to receive you. Miss Cindy and I will also be over here in a few minutes. We don't just end the service. We just continue the invitation over here. But either during the song in a moment or after, you can come see us. If you're out there online, you can connect with us. Somebody will get right back with you, whichever way you're out there. Just connect to us, and we'll make sure to love you well through these decisions. If you're a dad today and you want to come, I'd love to see an altar with men. I think it's a very powerful picture. If you're a daddy and you say, I want to be that man after God's own heart. Maybe you have a wayward child, a son, a daughter. Maybe you are that wayward son or daughter. Whatever the case may be, if your daddy's alive today, you better do everything you can to show him and tell him you love him and you appreciate him. If your daddy's with Jesus today, I would just simply say, as the Kendrick brothers reminded us last week, we've all got a father story. It can bring up senses of pride or pain. And can bring up joy or despair. Even if you didn't know your biological father. We all have a father's story. So whatever your story is today. Make sure it intersects with God's story. And that God gets the glory. And whatever you need to do. The altar's open for you. And so when I say amen. Decide. Decide to follow Jesus. Lord we love you and we thank you for the day. We thank you for our dads. And we thank you that you are our Abba father. Our spiritual daddy. Our heavenly father. Nobody in this room has ever been, nor has anyone ever had, a perfect father save you. You're the only perfect one. We want to be more like Jesus every day so that in doing we are more like you, O Lord. I pray that you would move us in these final minutes together to be men after your own heart. In Jesus' name, amen.